Okay, my name's Dan. Uh, it's good to be here today. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 6. Uh, Matthew used to be a tax collector uh, within the Roman Empire, a very hated individual, but then he encountered Jesus and his life completely transformed and he became one of the earliest followers of Jesus. He wrote what we call the Gospel of Matthew, kind of like one of the biographies we've got of the life of Jesus. And we're going to read from Matthew 6. Uh, so we're going to read from verses 5 to 13. Uh, we're mainly going to focus today on verses 10 and 11. We're going to read all of it anyway. So I'll read it. This is Jesus talking. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily breads, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Oh, let's pray. Yeah, Lord, it's the, the very words we're going to look at today. God, I want to pray them now. Lord, I want to pray that your kingdom would come, God, and that your will would be done on earth, in this church, as it is above. King Jesus, we want to know more of you. King Jesus, may you be glorified here today. May you meet with us. May you speak to us. May you stir our hearts. And God, may you be glorified. Amen. Amen. So we are, we're in a series uh, focusing on prayer. Uh, now prayer is a very, a very human and a very uh, natural, a very, very human experience and activity. There was an article written in The Guardian um, two years ago which said, uh, which reflected on a survey that was done uh, all about prayer. And the article said this, it says that just over half of all adults in the UK pray. And it refers to this one guy called Henry, 64-year-old man, who says that every night before bed that he, he prays, despite insisting that he's not religious. This is what he said. He said, I would describe myself at the skeptical end of agnosticism. I certainly wouldn't classify myself as religious. But yet every night before bed, this guy, he recites the Lord's Prayer and then prays for his loved ones to be kept safe and well. There's another poll I heard about from 2004 which said that 30% of atheists pray sometimes. So that there's a longing in the human heart for, for divine love, for mystery, for eternity. Where our culture is experiencing, on one level, what Max Picard has called the flight from God, but at the same time, people cannot help but pray. 
The problem is, left our own devices, we don't really know what to pray for, or we don't really know how to pray in the right way. But yet Jesus here, verse 9 says, this then is how you should pray. And this is our desire this morning, that we would be a church that prays ever more in line with the heart of Jesus. And the Lord's Prayer is some of the most famous words ever penned, but it's such a helpful guide and a model to help us know how to, to do that. And like I said, we're going to focus specifically on verse 10 and 11, and I'll read that again. It's your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. So to help us think about this then, we've got to look at, we're going to look at three questions. Firstly, uh, what is wrong with the kingdoms and wills of the world? Secondly, what is the kingdom of God? And thirdly, why should we pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done? So firstly then, what is wrong with the kingdoms and wills of the world? Now the model that Jesus gives us here is so, is so counterintuitive. And I think the secular culture and kind of the inclination of our human hearts left to pray for itself will pray, my kingdom come and my will be done. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows the human heart better than, than anyone else who's ever lived. And he, he, he says, guys, you're not, you're not praying for that. You're not praying for your kingdoms to come and your will to burn. You're praying, we're looking and praying to for a different kingdom, for a different will. So what, what's wrong with the kingdoms we've already got then? What's wrong then with our own wills in this world? Now, world, our world is full of different, different kingdoms, all of which are trying to advance are trying to assert their authority, are trying to win converts and to win subjects to itself. But what is the kingdom? The kingdom means the rule and reign of the king. So we technically live in a kingdom, you could call it a queendom uh, in England. We live uh, within the queendom of our, the rule and reign of Elizabeth II, and her rule and reign is implemented through her government and through her prime minister. We live in a world of kingdoms, but I think actually, you look across the world, the, the kingdoms and the authorities of the world are, are shaking. Last year in 2019, there were, there were widespread protests in every continent across the world. In your more liberal democracies and your more like, ruthless autocracies, there's far-right nationalisms on the rise, You've got the environmental crisis, Brexit, all the problems that that's caused, there's such a distrust amongst younger people towards authority and towards the kingdoms of the world. And even look at Donald Trump, the President of the United States, going through his impeachment process. So we cannot trust the kingdoms of the world. They don't suffice. They don't last. We don't, we're not praying for them to come, for them to advance. In the Old Testament, in the book of Esther, there's a king called King Xerxes. And this guy, this guy, he's so powerful, right? He has a party for six months. A, he has a banquet for six months. And he probably thought, probably two months in, he probably thought, I am so powerful. My kingdom, my kingdom's going to be eternal. I'm going to be known for a long, long time. But yet, where's his kingdom now? It's gone. Most people don't, have never heard of this king called King Xerxes. The kingdoms of the world, we're not looking to them. But really, I think the kingdoms that we're more likely to put our trust in are the kingdoms that we create in our own lives, our own wills. Dallas Willard says that each person has a kingdom, 
a realm that is uniquely our own, where our choice determines what happens, the range of our effective will. See the link there between kingdom and will, like really interconnected. And this really is the foundation of the secular gospel. God did create us to have dominion and authority in this world, but the problem is we've distorted it, and we've made ourselves ourselves the kings. And this secular gospel is proclaimed by many, the modern evangelist. I'm going to talk about freedom here. William Ernest Henley, famous words. He wrote this, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. And then, last but not least, the venerable Ariana Grande. I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it. But we, we cannot, we, we cannot, and we should not trust in our, in our own kingdoms and wills either, because, partly because our effective will is so limited. And we build for certain kingdoms that we create in our lives, but then life has a habit of being really difficult and curveballs are thrown at us, and those kingdoms that we create in our own lives just tend to fall flat on their faces. And also, the problems with our man-made kingdoms is that we don't actually know what is best. We don't actually know what is good or what is true. I mean, our society has rejected truth. The Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year for 2016 was post-truth. Again, Dallas Wood again says this, we do not know enough and our desires are not perfect enough for us safely to be given everything we want and ask for. So the secular culture left to pray for itself, prays, my kingdom come, my will be done, on earth as it is in my brain. But, and, and you know what, I think I've, I've followed Jesus, I've been a follower of Jesus for a number, I'm not from a Christian home, I came to know Jesus when I was 18 years old, it was a couple of years ago now, but you know what, sometimes when I pray, I can very much pray in line with the culture that I live in. I could, so much of my prayer life often could just be about me. It's just like, in a nutshell, God, I want a happy life, give it to me. Or God, there's this big thing in the way of me enjoying a happy and fulfilled life, deal with it. And if we're honest, I think a lot of our prayers can, can be a bit like this as well. We can too easily treat God like he's a divine butler, or like a genie that just kind of gives us what we want and just supplements our life and makes our life better. But the problem here is that, that we can tend to put God into a box of our own making. And we make God to be what we want him to be. And we need to be careful of just believing what we want to be true. And the reality is we've got to continually steer our hearts and our minds to the truth of God's words. This is why we've got to read the Bible. It's, why we've got to, it's good to come to church and it's good that people are preaching God's words. Because we need to read the Bible, that's going to help us understand who God really is. So the Bible, is, it's not a thermometer. It doesn't, it doesn't reflect our desires or emotions or beliefs. And the Bible, it's like a thermostat. Instead, it sets our emotions, it sets our beliefs. And this is what Jesus here is doing. He's saying, guys, we're not, I'm, I'm telling you about a different kingdom, a different will that you are to look to and that you are to pray for. The kingdom and will of God. So that's the first question. And secondly, all right, what is the kingdom of God, Jesus? What is this? Why should we be concerned about it? We know what we're not praying for, so what are we praying for? 
I think in a nutshell, the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God, where what he wants done is done. The realm of his effective will. So an analogy, right? So I'm a teacher. Or I teach at a school in East Bristol. I teach history. And so the cl- my classroom, if you like, AF6, my classroom is, if you like, my kingdom. So if you enter my classroom, you are entering the kingdom of Mr. Coe. And I never use that language in school, but that, that's the reality. So it's the place of my own rule and reign. That is my classroom. And so when students of mine misbehave, which happens every now and then, I have to, what I have to do, I have to assert my kingship. I have to assert my reign and rule within that moment. And I say, guys, this is not what you do in my kingdom. This is the way of my kingdom. And in a similar way, and again, hanging on to this analogy a little bit more, if, it's, if little... If little Johnny has been bullied by little Sarah over here, then Johnny will come to me, and ho- hopefully she did, and should say, Sir, your kingdom come. Like, Sir, I've been wronged here. You need to assert your authority, and you need to deal with this Sarah over here. And again, that's, that's limited analogy, right, like all analogies are. But I think it's helpful for us a little bit to understand something of kind of the language and the economy of, of the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is God's rule and reign. And whereas the kingdoms that we create are all about us, the kingdom of God is all about the king. It's all about King Jesus. So where Jesus went and what Jesus did, yes, such was the kingdom. In Matthew 4, 17, in a land where Caesar was king, Jesus rocks, into, rocks on the scene and proclaims, repent, turn around from your old way of life, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus went around then proclaiming the good news of not primarily the cross, or the resurrection, or the good news of God's love, the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is good news, and it's all about the king, it's all about King Jesus. All right, so why is, it, why is it good news? All right, Jesus, this kingdom is good news. Like, why is it good? Yeah, what's so great about it? And if we're literally, I've just taken a few little bullet points, that's four from the start of Matthew, the first couple of chapters, and it gives us a little glimpse of the kingdom of God and what it looks like and why it might be called good news. Firstly, it's a kingdom of restoration and physical healing. Just read this from Matthew 4, 23, 20, 24. Jesus went throughout Galilee, healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. This kingdom is one of authority and example, because actually the, the king of the kingdom himself, he would ultimately identify with the physically afflicted as he would be tortured and beaten and he'd be paralyzed upon a cross, bearing our sorrows. Secondly, the kingdom blesses and moves towards the sat upon, spat upon, ratted on. Simon Garfunkel lyric there. Jesus teaches that the blessed are the poor in spirit. And I thought, I thought the blessed would be those who've got a good degree and those who've got come from a good socioeconomic background and those who, um, I don't know, have got a PhD or something. But now Jesus says, no, the blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the spiritual zeros. 
Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Because in the midst of human depravity and weakness, the kingdom of God moves upon such people. Then the king of the kingdom would ultimately model these things in himself as he was born into a backwashed town with no fancy religious education, poor family, and he would spend time with the outcasts and the nobodies. It's the kingdom that says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The king of the kingdom would ultimately model this himself by laying down his life for those who hated him and those who wanted to kill him out of amazing love. And it's the kingdom that says when you give to the needy. And the very ethic and practice of charity in our modern Western world very much stems from the ethics and the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus models this himself, right? The king of the kingdom models this himself when he gives himself to a needy world. And that, that's, that's just the first few points from the start of Matthew. Right? You can let, I mean, there's such a breadth and a rich tapestry of meaning and depth to the kingdom of God throughout the whole of the scriptures. Look in the Old Testament. Psalm 89, 14 says that righteousness and justice, people in our world, in our city, they love the word justice, right? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. This is a kingdom that Psalm 113 raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy. This is a kingdom in which the oppressor will come to an end, Isaiah 16. This is a kingdom where the barren woman can sing, Isaiah 54. I mean, what kind of kingdom says that a barren woman in that culture would be rejected? What kind of kingdom says that she can sing for joy? What kind of kingdom is this? And this kingdom, and Jesus says himself, quoting from the Old Testament, Jesus says, this will be a kingdom where there will be liberty to the captives and liberty to those who are oppressed. What a kingdom. Yeah, what a king. It's a good kingdom with a beautiful king. All right, thirdly, all right, why should we pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done? Why do we need to pray that? Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's within your midst. But yeah, sometimes you look at the world, you look at your Twitter feed, you look at the news, you look at your own heart sometimes, and it doesn't always feel like the kingdom of God is here. And Jesus in Matthew 13 tells this story, this parable of, he calls it the parable of the weeds. And he says the following, he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seeds in his field. Follow me. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. So we understand from this that God's kingdom has come. But there are other kingdoms around. As we've already said earlier, the enemy is at work trying to pervert and destroy God's kingdom. He's like this evil gardener that, that sows weeds in the midst of the good garden of God's kingdom. So the reality is that we live in a time, we live in a, we live in a tension between the instigation, the inauguration, the establishment of the kingdom of God, and its coming consummation, its coming fulfillment, its coming 100%ness. Some people have called this the now, but not yet, of the kingdom of God. And this is, this is where prayer comes in. Jesus says, don't just, don't just consider the kingdom 
and consider the supreme will of God. He says, you're to pray it in. You're to usher it in. You're to contend for the kingdom and will of God on earth as it is in heaven. When should we do this? Well, all right, all right Jesus, when, when should we pray this? Well, wherever there is something that is not as it will be in heaven, wherever there is illness, disobedience, hatred, injustice, the power of Satan, we are to pray, Jesus, your kingdom come and your will be done. We're pray- and ultimately there, what we're doing, we're praying for more of King Jesus. I don't know about you, in my life, I, I, need, I need more of King Jesus in my life. I need more of the King, King Jesus in my life. When you can pray this for yourselves every day, God, this, this day, in my own life, your kingdom come and your will be done. There's this famous line about prayer from a theologian guy called Karl Barth, and he says that to clasp the hands in prayer, which I thought, growing up, I thought that was kind of a weak and a thing to do, that I would, I would never, that's just a weird thing that only my nan does at our church, and they, just, they pray. But now he's, she say, he says here, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. And I think this section of the Lord's Prayer is the bit that most uh, relates to that quote. This language of battle, of warfare almost, of contending. So to pray your kingdom come is to pray that God's saving royal rule be extended where it is currently not. The Jewish person in the ancient time, they looked to the day when the kingdom of God was going to come and was going to begin. Whereas Jesus here is saying, well, the kingdom's already begun. You're to pray for it to advance. You're to pray for it to, to, to be consummated. So we cannot be indifferent. If there is a greater kingdom that, to, that is to be prayed in, we can't be indifferent. We can't do nothing. Years ago, somebody prayed over me. It's quite dramatic language. Um, but they prayed over me. They said, Dan, I pray that you be somebody that when you wake up in the morning, Satan will quake in his boots. Again, quite a dramatic language, but I'm like, man, don't you want to be somebody like that? Don't you want to be a prayer warrior like that, that when you wake up in the morning, all the dark forces of the world just shudder? Not because of anything special about you, because, you, because of your king, because of King Jesus. Okay, now, we, it's interesting, actually, that we haven't spoken about verse 11 yet. And it's interesting that so far, we're halfway through the Lord's Prayer, but Jesus hasn't mentioned me yet. He's not mentioned us. Like, Jesus, what about, what about my needs? Like, well, I think, I think I should, if, I, if I was to write a prayer, I'd probably put something about me and my needs probably a little bit higher up the pecking order. Maybe like this, okay, we'll start by praying, by worshiping God, and then I'll write, God, this is what I need today. But isn't it interesting that Jesus says to pray for God's kingdom to come, and his will to be done before we even get anywhere near talking about what we need and what we want. Let's read it again, verse 10 and 11. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then it says, give us this day our daily bread. So in verse 11, Jesus is telling us in verse 11 to come before God and ask, not for cake, but for bread. Not for daily greeds, but for daily, for daily needs, for daily grace. So and it, it is so, it's good to pray and request of God 
the things that are on our heart. It is good to come before God and ask him for the simple things. Because as we know, he's our, loving, he's our loving father, and he loves it when we come to him, when we pray, when we pray and ask things of him. But even more here, though, Jesus is saying that we are to ask for daily provision. I think in our culture where I live literally a minute, 52-second walk from a big Tesco. I've timed it. And I know that I, don't have, I cannot pray that prayer, and I know that I can go there in a minute, 52 seconds, and buy, like, sun-dried tomato for catcher, whatever. You know what I mean? But actually, I think in this, Jesus is saying here, uh, actually coming before God each day, we need to do this. We need to ask for him that things we need day by day, daily bread, daily needs, and that's a sign of our humility and dependence upon him. There's been so many days I've had in my life, just even the past six months, where I've been like, okay, God, if you, if you don't, I can't do this day without you. God, I can't see how I'm going to get to bedtime tonight if you don't provide for me today. God, and today I just need mental strength. God, today I just, I just, I've got this lesson coming up, I've got this meeting, I've got this issue to do with God, I just need your daily sustaining grace. And ultimately, right, God is himself, our daily bread. But I think the order of the prayer that Jesus gives us is really significant. It's not, right, pray for your needs, and then, okay, God, your kingdom come, you will be done. It's actually, your kingdom come, your will be done. Okay, Father, this is what I need today. And I think when we begin by, when we pray that, when we begin by beholding God our Father and the holiness of his name, and then we, we consider and pray for the advancing of his kingdom, not ours, and his supreme will, that shifts our perspective and it helps us see actually what our needs are much more clearly. As Jesus himself, when as James said earlier, Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, your daily bread, will be added to you. So why not each morning this week, as we begin, the, as we begin the new week, why not each morning before your day, ask God for your, why your daily bread? Ask God for daily sustaining grace. But then rest it in the fact that he is king of kings and his kingdom and will are supreme. Now this leads us back onto verse 10. And specifically, we need to ask, hey, what happens when we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done? And I think there are three reasons why Jesus wants us to pray like this. Firstly, this prayer gets us caught up in the way of the kingdom and his will. Jesus, in Matthew 26, near the end of his life, he's in the garden of Gethsemane. And he knows he's about to be handed over to be tortured brutally and to be murdered. And he, he, he comes to God and he prays and he says this, My father... If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, man, I'll, I'll pray the same. I'll be like, okay, God, my father, if it's possible, can I not die right now? Can you, can you make that happen? But then, but then look at what Jesus says next. He then says, yet yeah, not as I will, but as you will. It sounds familiar. He's saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. So Jesus, he requests the father and then he, he kind of centers it back in the Father. His prayer life revolves around God the Father. So when we pray for God's kingdom and will to be manifested 
in the midst of our prayers for other things, for daily bread, our life will evermore center around God the Father. Because prayer changes the prayer. Prayer changes us. It gets our heartbeat to beat more in line with his heartbeat. It's an example of my own life. I mean, a couple of years ago, I was given this book for free called Operation World. And it's a, it's a compilation of every country uh, in the world. And it's got a number of prayer points for each country to help, to help you pray for that nation. And so what I do is part of my uh, weekly kind of devotion habits, a lot of prayer is about habits. I think it's about building healthy habits in your, in your life and your week. Every Saturday morning, my morning prayer with God, my morning time with God, what I'll do, I'll pray for a different country. Yesterday was like Equatorial Guinea. Um, and what I'm doing there, what I'm, my main prayer is, God, in this nation, your kingdom come and your will be done. But I pray in this nation, I pray against the incorruption and the, and the, 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 the wounds from civil war in that nation. We pray for the, the healing, saving, re, uh, reigning, just rule of the kingdom of God to advance in that nation. That's what I'm doing. And as I'm doing that, my, my heart is being changed. I'm getting caught up in God's heart for the nations. Prayer changes the prayer. Secondly, it doesn't just change us. Prayer affects change. James, in the New Testament, says that prayer is powerful and effective. So we pray for God's kingdom to come and will to be done. We believe that stuff happens, that God will answer those prayers. I, I, when I was just preparing for this, I had a picture in my head of like people, going, we're, as if we're, as a church, we're to go into this big abandoned mansion that's been um, that's kind of dusty and dark and boarded up and we're to go in and we're to rip the borders off the windows and let the light pour in. This is what happens. God answers our prayer. And again, I know every year of my walk following Jesus, kind of my heart and my main prayer for my own life is, God, this year your kingdom come and you will be done in my own life. And every year I've come to know more of King Jesus and his will for my life. I've learned to live more and more in light of that. Thinking more corporately, I know many people amongst us here and in, in our city have been praying for East Bristol. And hello, what's happening next Sunday? We're starting a site in East Bristol. So again, God is, God, the kingdom is moving. The kingdom is moving. God is answering these prayers. And then thinking bigger than even that, I mean, all great revivals, all great moves of God in the history of the world have come off the back of people, often a small group of people, faithfully praying, God, your kingdom come and your will be done. And that's what we believe that the next revival probably will happen in the same way. Because we want to see revival come in Bristol, right? We want to see thousands of people in our city encounter King Jesus. So we've got to pray, God, in this city, in this day, in this age, in my lifetime, God, we pray that your kingdom will come and your will be done in the city of Bristol as it is above. And finally, this prayer is a, is a prayer of hope. It's a prayer of looking ahead. When Jesus says to his disciples in the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples, he wasn't taking a risk. He wasn't going, right guys, um, give you your best shot, uh, go for it, you know, do, do your best, we'll see how it goes, report back here in a couple of years' time, you know, I'm, I'm gunning for you. No, the, Jesus knows better than anyone. Habakkuk 2.14 says this, For the earth will, not maybe, not hopefully, 
not like mostly, now the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God's kingdom will truly come. His will will truly be done. Who can stay his hand? God says, my purpose will stand. Again, Daniel 2.44 says that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. So because we live in a broken world, but we know there are, there are some things that, that God won't seem to answer. There are some prayers that God won't seem to answer in our, in our lives. There are some things that God won't seem to deliver us from in our lives. And at times it will look like the kingdoms of the world is, are advancing. and It will look like the kingdom of God is, is stalled at the traffic lights. But when, we, when we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done, it forces us to look ahead to the day of the return of the king. You know, when Aslan moves again, when King Jesus returns and makes all things that are wrong untrue, where the fullness of his kingdom comes, where he, he, wherein he shall be all in all. And this is the hope of prayer. You know, that God's kingdom's coming anyway. And we get to partner with him in praying it in. So my main question to us at the end here is, there are two types of people in the world. Those who pray, my kingdom come, and my will be done. And those who pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So my question is, which one of those people are you? Let's be a community of people who, who contend and pray in the kingdom of God and for his will to be done on earth. We all need more of King Jesus in our lives. We all need more of the kingdom. Pray for yourself and your family and your loved ones. The kingdom of God would move more into your and theirs lives. Let's pray for God's kingdom to come against the injustices in our city and in our nation. And actually, I think what will happen is sometimes we'll pray, God, your kingdom come in this, and God will then be like, right, you're going to go and be my kingdom agent, and you're going to go and I'm going to use you in dealing with that. We will often be the answer to our prayers. Let's pray for God's kingdom to come and for many people to bow their knees to King Jesus. Praise for Cotton, for Bradley Stoke, praise for fish ponds. And maybe you're here today and you, and you don't know Jesus. And you feel like, I, I feel like I'm not in the kingdom of God. So well, the doors, they're not shut. Okay, King Jesus welcomes you in. And you can do that today. I mean, come and, come and chat to me after. If that's something you want to talk more about. And finally, could the, could the band come back up actually? That'd be awesome. And finally, let's be a community of people. A people broken, imperfect, needy, and messy. Let's be a community that points each other to the coming kingdom, the return of the king, the day when he will be all in all. Guys, can we stand? So I'm going to end by reading some, fame, some words from uh, some guys from the 1600s in Germany. And they were like, we want to help people understand what Christianity is about. And they broke down the Lord's Prayer. And, they, and, they, and the, they said, okay, what does it mean when Jesus says, your kingdom come? And they wrote these words to help explain it. I think they're just quite powerful words. I'm going to read them as a prayer for us and for our church. And you can pray them as well in your own hearts. And then we're gonna, I think we're going to end by singing. 
God, rule us by your word and spirit. That more and more we submit to you. God, preserve and increase your church. Destroy the works of the devil. Every power that raises itself against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. And God, do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes, wherein you shall be all in all. Amen.